0: Well, there were quite a few big stories in the news this week. The Turkish assault on the Kurds, the impeachment of the president, more woes at Boeing, homelessness in Seattle, heavy-duty stuff, all of it. Another piece of news I took note of had to do with the Mariners. You perhaps heard this news also. We now have the distinction of being the only team in Major League Baseball that has never made it to the World Series. That following the Nationals beating the St. Louis Cardinals this past week in the National League Championship Series. But I have some good news. In our Gospel today, Jesus told his disciples a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. Pray always and do not lose. Lose heart. I thought of that this week as I looked back at some of the sermons I preached on this text over the past 30 years. And as many of you know, I lived in Boston uh, for 30 years, the Boston area for 30 years, and yes, was a, a pretty serious Red Sox fan. And that was hard to do for most of that time. But this week I looked back at the sermon that I preached on October 17, 2004, in which I had this to say, It was apparently a Stewardship Sunday. I said, it's not the text I would have chosen for the Sunday on which I deliver our fall stewardship sermon, but that's the way the lectionary works sometimes. It sounds like the framers of the lectionary knew this would fall on the morning after a third straight bruising Red Sox loss to the Yankees in the American League Championship Series. Pray always and do not lose heart. (coughs) What I did not know then was that in the next four games of that series, Boston would rout the Yankees in perhaps the most dramatic comeback in baseball history, win the ALCS championship, and then go on to take the Cardinals in a four-game World Series. It was quite a time to be in Boston and to be a Red Sox fan, breaking the 87-year Curse of the Bambino. Three years later, the same text comes up again, as our lectionary does. The morning of Game 7, when the Red Sox would once again win the ALCS, going on to win their second World Series in four years. And six years later, in 2013, after I was here in Seattle, it came up again at World Series time when Boston would win its third pennant. Pray always and do not lose heart. I know whereof I speak, Seattle. Jesus taught his disciples about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. I talked with someone not long ago who seemed to be losing heart, not about baseball, but about all of life. No direction, no motivation, no real sense of purpose. She was losing heart. Now, we have all perhaps felt that feeling at one time or another. To lose heart is to give in to the feeling that bigger forces than we are pressing in on us, and that despite all of our efforts, they will likely overcome us. It's a feeling of vulnerability, of powerlessness, of ultimately hopelessness. A feeling that you get when you don't dare to think that things might finally turn out okay. The feeling you have when you have waited so long for something and it turns out that you have to wait some more with no guarantee that the answer will ever come. Losing heart can be a way of protecting ourselves against disappointment, deciding rather to have low or no expectations rather than to have great or even modest ones that may not ever be realized. Sometimes it might happen when someone has grown accustomed to losing. Losing things, losing people, and and just can't find it in themselves to believe that life really could ever be much different. Losing heart. We can feel it when it comes to love, or work, or relationships, or any of the things that give us our sense of identity, who we are, and our reason for being. It can be about our country, the environment, or the state of the world. Those things that are seemingly bigger than any one of our own efforts can possibly fix. There are some situations that just feel kind of intractable, whether they are personal or global in nature. Things like peace in the Middle East. How long have we been hearing about peace in the Middle East? And we are tempted to be cynical and perhaps even feel hopeless about it. A dear uh dear friends of mine, a husband and wife couple published a book on the Middle East a few years ago with the title How Long O Lord. But not all people even there in the Middle East have lost heart. <clears throat> Just yesterday our fellow parishioner Daryl Grothaus left for a pilgrimage and a hiking experience in Israel and Palestine and the Judean Desert. We should all remember him in our prayers these next couple of weeks as he undertakes this journey. As I was talking with him uh, about his upcoming trip, I thought about the fact that I've traveled now to Israel and Palestine five times over the last 25 years, and I always come home amazed at the persistence of people there who pray always and do not lose heart, even though we here sometimes do. Now, there are many stories I could tell, but I'll share just one this morning. On my most recent trip there, which is already 12 years ago, back in 2007, I co-led an interfaith group together with a rabbi friend with 30 people from both of our congregations participating. It was the first time that I had led a group of American Jews into the West Bank, and certainly their first time to go into the West Bank, including my rabbi friend, Rabbi Goldstein, who had been himself to Israel over 30 times, but had never crossed the line into the West Bank or Gaza until this trip. On our final day in Jerusalem, after what had been a remarkable experience uh, with this group... Carolyn and I were taking a final walk through the old city by ourselves. And deep in the heart of the old city, on the road that divides the Muslim and Jewish quarters, we had grown accustomed to walking past the fray of shopkeepers who begged you to come into their stores, sometimes ignoring them or simply shaking our heads no as we passed them by. But a young Arab man stepped out in front of us and invited us into his shop. And for some reason, we decided we would go on in. (laughs) As I walked back through his shop, I realized it was much bigger than I realized. We walked through three, four rooms back into the bowels of the souk, surrounded by the artifacts of Bedouin culture, and finally ended up in a room that resembled a tent, lined with fabulous tapestries and jewelry, all made by his family. Our hosts were two Arab brothers. They were Muslims, just a generation removed from the nomadic tent-living ways of their Bedouin ancestry. The one who had invited us in, it turned out, was a graduate of Northwestern University in Chicago, with a master's degree in chemistry, and was now teaching part-time at Al-Quds University in Jerusalem. I didn't expect that. Not here. We stayed for quite some time, sitting on the floor, drinking tea in the lovely Bedouin surroundings, talking about many things, talking about the arts, politics, yes, religion, yes. All the things you're not supposed to talk about. I told him that we were just concluding our stay in Jerusalem and that it had included a couple of visits to the West Bank, including a visit to Ramallah, His eyes grew wide and a smile broke out on his face. He was so happy to hear that we had gone to a place where so few American pilgrims ever go, prevented by their fears from having watched too much biased coverage in the American news media. And then I told him that our group was an interfaith group, that we were Jews and Christians traveling together, and that our Jewish friends had also gone with us to Ramallah, and that we had gone not only gone to worship in a Palestinian church there, in a Palestinian Episcopal church there, but we had had lunch together with people, many people from that church. American Jews and Christians sitting down together with Palestinians to get to know one another and break bread together. He was amazed and excited. He said, you've just made my day. That's just the kind of thing that needs to happen. It renewed his hope. He got so excited. People getting to know people, crossing boundaries, sitting down together, getting to know one another as fellow human beings. Before we left with some modest purchases in hand, he took me to a safe, a big vault, where he pulled out a large Arabic language Bible that he reads sometimes, he told me, just to try to better understand what Jews and Christians really believe. I left feeling so good. It was just another reminder to me not to lose heart because he, a Muslim living in Jerusalem, had not lost heart. Pray always and do not lose heart. So what's the opposite of losing heart? Taking heart, courage, hope, I took heart, as I believe he did too, from a brief but really wonderful and significant encounter that day. Now we hear in the book of Genesis today the story of Jacob who, who did not give up, but who wrestled with God until he received a blessing. He didn't come through this ordeal without any wounds, however. He had a limp for the rest of his life, we're told, but he received the blessing that he sought and for which he even fought with God. Nikos Kazantzakis, the famous Greek writer, tells a story of an elderly monk he once met on Mount Athos. Kazantzakis was questioning this monk and he asked him, do you still wrestle with the devil? No, the monk said, I used to when I was younger, but now I've grown old and tired "'and the devil has grown old and tired with me.' "'So,' Kazantzakis said, "'your life is easy then. "'No more big struggles.' "'Oh, no,' replied the old man. "'Now it's worse. "'Now I wrestle with God.' "'You wrestle with God?' "'replied Kazantzakis, rather surprised. "'And you hope to win?' (laughs) "'No,' said the old monk. "'I wrestle with God, and I hope to lose.' The wise monk knew that the struggle is often won within ourselves, and when God wins, we are a whole lot better off, even we have, when we have some wounds to show for it. Pray always, even wrestle with God, and do not lose heart. I read an article once about the importance of sleep in clearing away toxins in our brain. When our brain cells relax, it's said, they become smaller in size and the blood can flow more freely between them, taking with it proteins that otherwise build up in our brains. And it seems to me that prayer, particularly contemplative prayer and the cultivation of deep, silent prayer, plays something of that role for us. It clears away the spiritual toxins that infect us and that want to block the flow of God's life in us. There's nothing magical about prayer, and as the little parable that Jesus lets, tells, us, tells lets us know, sometimes you've got to keep banging on the door. There's a struggle involved. Bang on that door, even when the outcome is uncertain. Prayer is the relentless force of hope because it keeps us living and looking toward our hopes and not being drowned by the swirling currents of despair and hopelessness. Even the cry of despair, Oh, how long, O Lord, when will this ever end? Even that cry itself is the plea for something beyond the despair, and it is therefore prayer. So whatever you might be going through in your own life this morning, however you might be feeling about the state of our country or the world, these words from Scripture come to us today as a word of encouragement and hope and as a reminder that the deep, silent places are calling to us, inviting us to clear away the things that try to defeat us, to reclaim our hope, and yes, to take heart. So pray always, and do not lose heart.